0: Well, it's that time of the year when you have kids of a certain age, or grandkids of a certain age, or you happen to be a brother or sister of a brother or sister who's a certain age, or you're just an exceptional aunt or uncle that you're called upon to attend a Christmas play. Now, it could be worse, right? You could actually be in the Christmas play. Uh, you know, when you think about Christmas plays and all those parts and you think about, you know, the different parts that are assigned, I mean, certainly the most coveted roles for any Christmas play have to be the roles of Joseph and Mary. And, and when, you, when you look at the roles of Joseph and Mary, I mean, you've got to get casting agents involved, you've got to get talent managers, you've got to get all these people involved for these particular parts. I remember when uh, our daughter <coughs> Madison was She was about six or seven years old. Uh, She was cast as Mary in a Christmas play. Now, uh, unbeknownst to moi, she took her assignment very seriously. I heard about this or learned of this, you know, after the fact. You ever been in those situations where it would have been helpful to know ahead of time? Right? Well, she wanted to know what Mary would have experienced having a baby. I mean, listen, she's young, but she's taking her role seriously, right? She wants to get completely into character. So, again, unbeknownst to me, she asked her own mother Mary what it would be like to have a baby. And what it would be like for Mary to have had a baby. So, when it came time in the Christmas play for Mary, played by Madison, to announce to Joseph the arrival of baby Jesus... With a mixture of fear and terror, she yelled at the top of her lungs, Joseph, the baby's coming! Now, did I mention this was all unbeknownst to me? I mean, those are words that I never expected to hear from my young daughter, right? Right? But I guess that when you cast somebody for the role of Mary in your Christmas play, you want someone who takes the role seriously. When you think about these Christmas plays, the next decision that people have to make is, okay, what do we do for baby Jesus? Do we use an actual infant? I mean, that's a pretty good thing to list on your theatrical CV, right? Jesus, you know. Do do you use a mannequin? Do you use a, a doll? What do you use? And then you get to the roles like the shepherds and the angels and the wise men. In my opinion, those are the fun roles, right? Those are probably the best roles in all of the Christmas play. You have some speaking parts, some singing parts, and who doesn't want to wear the lavish outfits of the wise men? Now, uh, I've been working, Josh, so you'll be proud of me, of the names of the wise men, uh, Bella Shazam, Mentha Lipthus, and Shami Hagar. No? Okay, I have to work on that some more. And then what about the children who get the bleating and the braying parts? You know, the the California cattle, you know, the cattle are lowing. I know that was a stretch. The donkey, like who doesn't want to be the donkey in the play, Right? And then the sheep, right? I mean, just once I want to go to a Christmas play and hear the sheep start saying, ba ra moo, ba ra moo." I mean, that's what I want to hear in a Christmas play. And what about that child with the one job, right? The one job, the child chosen to carry the star around. To which somebody says, hey, I was that child. Yeah, so um, when our son was younger, I think he might have been a sophomore in college, something like that. Actually, no, he was about four years old. This is going to be an expensive message for me, because those of you who don't know, I have to pay my children every time I mention them in messages. And we negotiated this deal a long time ago in perpetuity, but they forgot to uh, put in a clause that adjusted for price inflation. So, it still cost me $5 every time I mention them. So, this is, this is an expensive message. So, uh, our son, he was like four years old. He was cast in a different uh, Christmas play, and, and his role was to be the star. Now, if you talk to him, he says he was the star of the play. And his job was to carry the star down the aisle... Right, because he was guiding the processional, you know, Star of Wonders in the heavens and all that jazz. Right now, he's four years old, and he worked it out that the quicker he moved, the sooner his work was done. And so, starting from the back of the the auditorium at the time where the play was, he he worked this all out in his head. When it came time for him, he sprinted down the aisle like a flat-out run. It was like the Kentucky Derby had just started, you know, and they're off, you know. He ran as fast as he could, I mean, and he cemented his place in Christmas play lore as the shooting star. <laughs> so, uh, I guess you have to make the role your own. Now, today from our text in, in Luke 2, we're, we're looking closer at the way the shepherds are cast in this nativity story, in this what would become the script for every Christmas play you've ever been to. And if we look at the shepherds in this story, I want you to see that we're going to find two things. First, that they are unlikely recipients of good news. And that second, they are unlikely messengers of good news. In this role in which they are cast, They are both unlikely recipients and unlikely messengers. Let's pray. Father, would you open our hearts and our minds today as we open your text? Would you speak to us the promise of hope that still rings true for us because of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay. "...in fields where they lay, keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep." We're familiar with that song. It comes from this text in Luke 2. Now, the first thing I want you to see is that shepherds seem to us like unlikely recipients of good news. But this is exactly the role that is thrust upon them by central casting. We've already had read to us this text from Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and we were introduced to these shepherds who are out in the middle of the field, and they're keeping watch over their sheep by now, and in the last thing that they would ever expect, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and not only that, the glory of the Lord shines around them, and the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, they were filled with great fear. Now, we pick up in verse 10 where the Bible says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger." So you have to understand what's happening here, because in an unnamed field, in an unnamed location, in a nondescript place, the angel of the Lord is sent to a group of unnamed shepherds. This seems to us like such an unlikely choice. Can you imagine the angel of the Lord appearing in the cotton fields or tobacco fields of the rural south? Can you imagine them going and giving good news to those who labor in the fields under forced labor, harvesting commodity crops? Can you imagine the angel of the Lord appearing in the agricultural fields of California, giving good news to the migrant workers who harvest the tomatoes, the onions, and produce that we so dearly like to eat? Imagine the angel of the Lord appearing in the chicken houses of Missouri and Arkansas, giving good news to the out-of-sight, out-of-mind Hispanic laborers who tend to the poultry that we consume. It would seem to us like such an unlikely choice for those people to be recipients of such good news, and yet this is The situation we find ourselves in an unnamed field, in an unnamed location with shepherds. Can you imagine if God were to break into our world a second time during this time of year and that he would give good news, that he would give the details about the good news of Jesus returning to this world a second time? but that God chooses to break into a place in this world where people are tending crops in a field. Maybe even where people are farm workers, ranch hands. Maybe even breaking into a prison where people are kept. And that's where he chooses to give good news of the second coming of Jesus. So, in a way, shepherds seem to us like unlikely recipients of good news. But they're not just recipients of good news. They also become messengers, unlikely messengers of good news. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God, all glory in the highest. In Luke chapter 2, In verse 13 we read, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I love the fact that the first gig of the heavenly choir of angels is for a group of unknown shepherds in an unknown field in an obscure region of Galilee. I mean, the choir of angels, have they been rehearsing from the foundation of the world? The choir of angels is assembled to sing only one song. They have only one show, and it's not even a sold-out show. I mean, can you imagine the poster for the concert? Like it has one stop, one time, one town. The, the tour t-shirt doesn't even have the GPS coordinates of the unknown location where they're sent to sing. But the concert program is the weirdest one of them all. Have you ever been to a concert and you've seen all those things in the program, right? There, the concert only lists one song. There are more names of heavenly singers than there are words of the song that they sing. This is their one shot, their one gig, their one stop, and they become heralds of good news, and immediately they're done. It's almost like the song finishes, right? Glory to God in the highest, and one angel turns to the shepherds and says, All right, boys, we're tired. You take it from here. Because this is exactly what happens. In verse 15 we read, When the angels went away from them into heaven we can see how the angel of God would be a likely messenger of good news. I mean, after all, angels are messengers of God. And we can see how the choir of the heavenly host would be the choir praising God, giving you know tidings of comfort and joy. I mean, who better to sing like an angel than an actual angel, right? It doesn't get any better than that. But now the shepherds become the heralds the shepherds find themselves in an unusual spot where they become the messengers of that God has broken into this world. And unless they leave the interns behind, the shepherds do something unlikely. They do something unexpected. They leave their sheep in the field. They want to travel and go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has done. Shepherds They begin as unlikely recipients of good news. They become unlikely messengers of good news. They're they're the first responders of good news of great joy. Now, there's something curious and interesting in the text that I want you to see. Did you notice that when the shepherds discuss among themselves what they're about to do, they say, let us go see this thing. That's the word that they use. They say, let us go see this thing, this thing that has happened, this thing that the Lord has made known to us. When they arrive at their destination, Luke chapter 2, look at verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And then look what verse 17 says, and when they saw it it's an unusual choice of words when they saw it they're looking at it what are they looking at i mean yes from verse 16 we see that they're looking at the child the the baby jesus but they're they're looking at far more than just your average breathtaking baby They're looking at something else. They're looking at unexpected good news. They are looking at the sign of a Savior, Christ the Lord. They are the first witnesses to see Jesus for more than just another baby born at another time in a random place. They're the first witnesses of Jesus, the baby Jesus, as the sign of God, as Christ the Lord, as the Savior of the world. They're looking at so much more. What they are looking at, the thing they are looking at, the it is so unlikely and so unexpected because they're in that moment, they're looking at the promise of God. They're looking at the light of the world. They're looking at the hope of the nations. They're looking at the joy of our desire. They are looking at good news of great joy. They are looking at a God who fulfills His promises, who does what He says, who loves this world, and has broken into this world in this time to save us. And they become unlikely messengers. Look again at verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, they're telling Joseph and Mary everything that the angels had said to him. And look at verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. We don't often talk about the faith of the shepherds who heard God say something and decided amongst themselves, let's go check it out. And they went and they saw it exactly as God had said. And they returned from that place after seeing Christ the Lord glorifying, praising God, a God who is faithful. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song that God is a God who does unexpected things. Shepherds seem to us as unlikely recipients, unlikely messengers of good news. But verse 8 is telling us something about why God chose shepherds. You ever wondered why them? Why does God choose shepherds? It's found in verse 8, "...and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night." News is given to the shepherds because they are out in the field, because they are keeping watch over their flock. In this moment of time when their flock is the most vulnerable, God chooses them because in choosing shepherds, the work of the shepherd, he is showing his heart for his people. He is showing how much he values his people, how much he loves his people, how much he cares for his people. And so you can read throughout the Bible that there is this metaphor, this this figure of speech, this expression, this emblem, this picture, this image that always pops up. It's throughout the entire Bible. It's how God feels about us, expressed to us in the imagery of a shepherd who takes care of sheep. It is from this we learn that Jesus is the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The second thing it reveals to us is God's heart for his people, because Israel is presented as lost sheep. When Jesus sends the twelve apostles out on their first mission, He specifically charges them. He says, go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He uses that word, go them first, go to them first, the lost sheep. Now, it's important, that's in Matthew chapter 10. It's important to understand that Jesus sends the people out and if you read in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, you see that Jesus has, has surveyed the scene. He has looked upon the people of God. He has seen the people that God loves so much, the people, the reason for why he is there. And he says this about them. Matthew 9 ends with, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion for them. Why does he have compassion for them? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Man, I read an article just yesterday about a a, a person who keeps sheep, a modern day shepherd, and and how how uh, 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 it was like eleven uh, coyotes got into the pen and were attacking the sheep, and the farmer's dog, a great Pyrenees, jumps into the pen, huddles all of the sheep into the corner of the pen, and stands there and faces off eleven coyotes killing eight of them. I mean, almost killing the dog. The dog was willing. People talk about this breed of dog. They say, yeah, this dog is willing to lay his life down to protect those whom he considers part of his family. I mean, we, we see examples like this, and we're like, okay, that's a good dog. You know, how come I always get the dumb dogs? You know? And so we have these imageries of the things that people will do to protect, and this is the imagery that God is trying to convey to us of how much He loves us and why He chooses shepherds. Because of His great love for us. Because there's something else about us. In Jeremiah chapter 50, God laments over the world. He says, My people have been like lost sheep. When Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, he is weeping over the lost sheep because as the words of Isaiah the prophet say, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So yeah, shepherds seem to us like unlikely recipients, unlikely messengers of good news. But old and barren Elizabeth seems like an unlikely choice to be the mother of John the Baptist, and old and barren Sarah seemed like an unlikely choice to be the mother of Isaac, and A teenage virgin girl named Mary seems like an unlikely choice to be the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. A baby born in Bethlehem seems like an unlikely Savior of the world, an unlikely sign of God's faithfulness and promises fulfilled. Most of the people, the majority of the people that God chooses would seem to us like an unlikely choice. I mean, all you have to do is read through the genealogies of Matthew, of the Gospels. You read through the genealogies to get to Jesus, and you discover quickly it's a who's who list of who. That's exactly what these lists are about. That God uses unlikely people in unexpected ways as part of his good news of his love for this world. The shepherds seem to us as unlikely recipients, unlikely messengers of good news, but maybe this teaches us to expect the unexpected from God, from whom all things are possible. Maybe this teaches us, even in this season, to look for God in the unexpected moments of life. Maybe this gives us courage to seek God in the unexpected chaos of our life in the brokenness of our humanity. A stable seems like an unlikely birthplace for Christ the Lord. A manger seems like an unlikely crib for the Messiah. And the cross is an unexpected symbol of love and grace because it is here on the cross where mercy is withheld from Jesus so we might receive mercy. It is on the cross where Jesus receives wrath so we might receive love. It is on the cross where Jesus becomes an object of scorn and hate, so we might receive mercy and grace. This makes all of those who believe in Jesus, just like the shepherds of old, unlikely recipients of good news and unlikely messengers of this good news. May you receive the good news as did the shepherds of old. May you respond with glad tidings of joy. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This, this is Christ the King, whom angels greet and anthems sweet. The King of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone Him. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your gift. We are so grateful that you've chosen us, and even in this moment, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak good news of joy into our hearts. Maybe it's to receive you as Lord. Maybe it's to come to you in faith. Maybe it's to be the messengers in brokenness that we need to be of your love and your mercy. Maybe it's to be emblems of your grace. Maybe it's to be vessels of your love. In such a time as this, Lord, we pray that you use us to be your messengers, to be your heralds of good tidings of joy. We pray through Christ. Amen. Would you stand together? Our shepherds are going to be down front with their wives, and if you would like to